Let's go to God's Word, Psalm 19, 1 through 7. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Father God, thank you so much for your son Jesus. He brings peace in times of sorrow and times of rejoicing. He brings strength and thankfulness. We praise you, Lord, that you gave us your son for all time, for our salvation, and for our walk with you. And we just praise you, Lord, and glorify you on his birthday. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Christmas season. I'm here at Fellowship Church. Uh, we've been walking through the book of Exodus, and we, we finished last week with Moses' death. And, and in January, we're starting the book of Hebrews. So over December, if you want to start reading ahead and getting yourself ready, it's a book with a lot of depth to it. And we're going to walk through it step by step, and it's going to be really amazing. But over this uh, Advent season, we're going to take a break, and we're going to go into sort of a little short series called The Power of Story. And we're going to talk about this narrative, this grand story of Jesus and his birth and how those things that happened surrounding his birth apply to us, right? About how this incredible story is played out, the setting by which Jesus came into the world, the supporting characters in the story. And we're going to walk through all those things together over these next few weeks, culminating on Christmas Day. We have church this year. So I'm going to be an exciting time just to be in the Word and to be uh, focusing upon Him. But um, I love what David read for us that God has been telling His story since the creation of the world. That through the stars and through the skies, that there is no language where they don't understand that someone created that. That there's something out there. And I know there, there are things in the world that want to pull you away from that. But when you really look at it, you see the glory of God. And then it says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Anybody need some soul revival? Anybody need some of that in your own soul right now just to come into life? Well, the law of the Lord will bring that revival in our life. And it says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, and as a simple man, I love this verse because God could take someone like me and hopefully through his word give us wisdom as we apply his word to the world. And so we're going to dive into this series called The Power of Story. So we need to define a couple words because this word power is a word that's used by the world and not always applied into our life. So I looked up the definition of power, okay? The definition of power is the authority one holds over another, 
So the, the authority that one holds over another. So, for example, as a teacher in a classroom, students gave me a certain amount of authority over them. Some, not so much. Most of them, really awesome, okay? But I had an opportunity to have that authority over them. Now, when you look at the Bible and you look in the, the New Testament, you see this Greek word, dunamis. I think I said that right. I've been practicing. Um, but it gives this definition. It says, inherent power... Power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. So you notice in this definition, God, right? Like literally it says inherent power. Where does that inherent power come from? God. It comes from his very nature. God is power. Notice this definition doesn't tell you whether it's good or bad. Because power can be used for incredibly good purposes, but it can also be used for incredible evil. And so what we have to deal with is the last part of this definition, which is people. The things and the people that exert power in our life. And so here's the question that I want you to have kind of in the back of your mind as we go through today. It's this, what words, people, or actions have you given power to in your life? What words, people, and actions have you given power to? That you, Have you given authority over your life? Because, guys, did you realize this? Words have power. Can I get an amen on that one? Words have power. When you speak a word of blessing or encouragement, that has power, but it also has power the other way. When you speak something out of anger, that's why the Bible says be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? Because when we speak out of anger, we say, that was so dumb. That was so this, that we plant. That word has power in someone's life. We have to understand that our word has power. So the question is this. The word, if it has power, what is the source of the word that has more power in your life? Is the word of God your source of power. Let's look at it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to kind of be in this passage today for a little while. Here's what verse 18 says. For the word of the cross is folly to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That this book is the power of God in our life. Is that true for you? Or is whatever you're thinking in the moment have more authority than God's word over you? Because God's word has said you're an incredible creation of God that has a purpose, and yet we feel unworthy. He says that he is going to be the one that gives you wisdom. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But yet I feel dumb sometimes. And when that thought comes up, which one has more authority in your life? Something that was told to you or done to you? Or the word of God and what it speaks over you? This is the battle. Words have power. Let's let this word have the ultimate power over our life. And let's see ourselves as God sees us in this. Here's what else is interesting. People have power. People try to exert their power over you. And there's two ways that people have power in your life. One is relational and one is positional. 
right? Relational is the idea that because we have a relationship together, you've allowed me to have a certain authority in your life. You guys came here today. Thank you so much for coming. You've given me an opportunity to speak the words of God to you. So you've given me a certain amount of ability to speak over you and to hopefully bless you with the word of God today. This is relational power. There's love interaction between it based upon our relationship with each one of you in the room. Something I say might stick differently. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in the sermon. I've been in these sermons many times because when I was on staff and John the Left, which was preaching, I got to listen to three sermons every Sunday. And I remember going out going, man, God was just speaking this word to me just like this. And all of a sudden I talked to somebody else and be like, I don't even remember him saying that. I remember him saying this, right? And it's like somehow God's word is living and active. And it pierces into the soul and the marrow and it, it, it reads us. It's just crazy how God's word is so real like that. But there's also relational power, but there's also positional power. There are some people that just because of their position, they're the boss, something like that, they exert power over you. It's in power that's been given to them by somebody besides you. There's people like me. I'm a big guy, right? I could easily exert my power over someone. I have that coach voice, like, come on, right? I have that loud, right? Some of these guys play basketball for me, right? And I was a pretty relational coach, but every once in a while, I'd have to get in the huddle and positional power had to come out, like, what are you doing, right? Every once in a while, that would kind of come out, right? But this positional power weakens over time. I want you to hear me, parents especially, I want you to hear me. Right? Positional power weakens as a relationship grows because fear only lasts so long. But relational authority and relational power builds over time. That's why like some, some of y'all were quarterbacks and played quarterback for me in high school and we still have, because of the relationship we had in high school, they come to church, and we have a chance to play disc golf, and he has a chance to beat me at disc golf just the other day. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate that. So um, but we have a relationship because of what happened in high school from 7th grade, ninth grade, and on, and that relational authority gets to live that way even today. Even though Stephen's a grown man, he still calls me coach, even though he's a coach, right? Because that relational has power. And here's what I love about this power, right? Because actions have power too, but... They only have the power that you give to them. And what is incredible is that story has all of these aspects in it, doesn't it? Story has an, a compelling character that has dialogue and, and is speaking over things and they're overcoming obstacles. And story has such power because it illustrates all of these different things tied into one interaction. And so it begs to differ. What's the definition of story? It's a narrative imaginary or real, that is designed to either entertain people, to teach people, or convey a message to someone. So every story behind it has a message that's being pushed out to you. So every movie, every short story, every little video on YouTube has some sort of story that's being pressed out to us in it. We see that in the story of Jesus. We saw that through the Exodus story, didn't we? God conveying who he was to the people and Moses being that mediator, story has power. Guys, listen, you have a story. Do you believe that? Each one of you in this room have a story. You have a testimony about what God has done for you in your life. Are you ready to tell people that story? 
The Christmas season is coming up. People are ready to hear about this baby. Are you ready to tell them your story? You see, we have a hard time telling our story because we, we have these little things that come into our mind that make us doubt and make us stray. But listen, there's no greater way to bring people to the Lord than your story. Like, for example, I've had a chance all year to hang out with Refuge, right? That's our youth group, 7th grade to 12th grade, and it's been awesome, right? Those guys are crazy, right? And they have a, we have a ton of fun. They keep me in shape every week, right? But last week, we had like 103 of them running around here. It's like ants got kicked the pile, and they're everywhere, right? Going everywhere. How do we have 103 kids coming every Wednesday night to worship and hear the gospel? Because of their friends. Their friends keep inviting friends, and their friends' friends keep inviting friends, and then all of a sudden there's friends everywhere, right? It's, it's just ever, they're everywhere, right? But it's because they're a testimony. It's not because our worship band is that great or because we have great speakers. It's because they have relationship with other people, and they value their friends' opinions, and they keep inviting them to that. You have that same ability. What keeps us from that? What keeps us from this calling? For example, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Let's go to verse uh, 26. It says this in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. What is our calling? To make disciples. Our calling as a walking with Jesus Christ follower is to make disciples. How do we make disciples? We share our story. We walk with them as they start, God starts building their story. This is our calling. Our goal for you as a church, our goal for you is to become a multi-level discipler. That you're discipling people that are discipling people that are discipling people. That's our goal for you. So we, our calling is to make disciples. How do we do that? We do that through giving our testimony and telling our story. Look what it says here in this verse, right? For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Ouch. Doesn't that kind of hurt? Paul's like, hey, look, we didn't pick you because you're smart. All right? And one of the main reasons that you can tell your story is you don't have to have it all together to tell your story. Do you hear me? Your story's not done. But I think sometimes we think, man, I got to get it all figured out, and then I'll tell my story. Guess what? You're never going to tell your story. I don't have it figured out. I'm still working. God's still working on me every day. And so if he's still working on me and he's still working on you, we still have to go out and tell our story. He says, I didn't pick it because you were smart, right? Not many of you were powerful. Doesn't hurt too bad. I mean, I've been working out, but, you know, doesn't hurt too bad. Not many of you are noble birth. Amen to that one. Okay. But God chose what is foolish in the world, ouch, to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world. To shame the strong. You see, he chose those that couldn't do it, that almost shouldn't do it, to do it so you could truly see the power of God. The weaker you are, the more ripe the opportunity for God to come in. Why? Because there's a danger. When you don't tell the story, people might give you the glory for stuff that's going on in your life instead of giving him the glory. This is why we tell our story, so that people will know that it's not me, it's him. I'm weak, I'm foolish, I do make all these mistakes, but yet God still, through my life, can tell a story. It says this next in verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, 
to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. Can you imagine being in the presence of God, right? The throne room, we read about Isaiah 6, and you're in the throne room, and God's getting the glory. You're like, guys, stop singing. I got to tell God what I did. Y'all keep singing praises to God. I want, wait, hold on, God. Good story, but let me tell you what I did. Can you imagine that? Are any of us going to get to heaven and be like, God, I know. I know you're really cool and all, but I'm really cool. Let me tell you about my life. Or are we just going to fall down and worship him? Because of all of his glory and who he is, right? And so he says right here, like, we shouldn't boast in anything but the Lord. And this is number two. If you're going to tell your story, boast in nothing but the Lord alone. That when you tell your story, none of the story should be dependent upon you. It's all dependent on what God has done for you and in you and through you. It's all the power of God at work in our life. This is what is encouraging to us. Look what it says next. And it says, and because of him... You who are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, we're scared to tell our story sometimes because we're scared of how people are going to take that story. We're afraid to put ourselves out there. But guys, I've got to tell you, if you want to have depth, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there. You know, my daughter Shelby got home from Thailand on Tuesday, um, which is really awesome. We got to see her, quite the adventure. I'll tell you about the adventure another time. But um, she got to come home, and we are talking about how do you develop deep relationships, right? And one of the things that we were talking about is it's not just sharing about your life that develops deep relationships. Because I don't know if you've ever been in path group, and this question comes up like, tell me about your deepest struggle, right? And then someone will say, you know, my deepest struggle is I just read the Bible too much. I just spend too much time in the Word. I just need prayer for that. Is that a real answer? Or have you been in an interview, right, and you're like, tell me your strengths, right? Tell me your weaknesses. Well, I could become a workaholic. I can just give too much to the job, and I lose sight of it. Come on now. And for me, that's like scratch the list off right there. Right? Give me a real weakness, Right? If you want to have deep relationships, you have to share things that are risky. If you want to have deep relationships, you have to share how you think and how your thinking is a little bit messed up and how they can kind of help you and come behind you and support you and encourage you. I'll give you an example right now. I, I feel like in my life that depression is always chasing me, always chasing me. I'm not chained up into more. I've been set free. Amen, through the power of Jesus Christ, and honestly, through counseling from beloved brother, I've been set free from that, but it's still chasing me. It's still there. Right? On a week like this where things are going crazy, I feel like if I slow down, it's just going to jump on my back, and I'm going to get low, and I'm going to feel that thing. That's just something that just always seems near to me. But man, I've got brothers and sisters praying for me. I've got people that are holding me accountable to those things. And you know what's even more crazy? God is so, so good, isn't he? Isn't God just so good to us? And we, we lose sight of that and we turn and we embrace something like dark thoughts or depression instead of going, no, the Lord is so good. You know, this week alone, my daughter Shelby comes home from Thailand. My daughter Kara's got engaged yesterday, right? Hey, now, y'all are cheering, all right? I feel excited and poor, okay? I'm just telling you right now. All right, so... Um, Awesome, right? But also in the midst of all of this joy, there was a painful joy this week. Because our brother, Jeff Clark, who's been battling through cancer, passed away on Friday morning. 
Someone beloved and that, our, uh, that many men in our church have poured into. But man, if you would have seen the end of Jeff's life and what God did in his life to show himself so real to Jeff, you would just have joy in your heart to know that Jeff is with Jesus, his Lord and Savior, right now. So even in the midst, and here's what's so important about that. Your joy should not be tied to circumstances. Your joy is tied to the Savior. Circumstances change. The Savior doesn't. This is why our joy is found in our relationship with God. So even in the midst of our story, remember that good old hymn, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Now you know why Karis sings, not me. Okay. And they called Chad last week, not me, remember? But um, this is our story. This is our song. Did you realize songs have high notes and low notes? Songs have rests, and they also have long, sustained notes where you feel like you're never going to get a breath in it. This is our story. This is our song. This is our life. Sometimes we feel like we just can't catch a break, and we're just holding that note out. And it's part of the beauty of what God is building in our life, not for our glory, but for his glory. That's why we have to remember that our joy is not tied to this world. Our joy is tied to him, and it's a fruit of the spirit of God that lives inside of us. This is the good news. This is why we can tell our story. This is why we can risk sharing things with others because the story is not about us. It's about how God can use this guy that's walked through these things before to proclaim his goodness and his glory. That's the beauty of story. This is the beauty of what God has done in here. Look what it says. We boast in the Lord alone. So it is written, as, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. There's no pride in us. It's all boasting towards him. Then it says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Listen, you can tell your story even if you're not good at telling it. Even if the words get all jumbled and messed up, you can still tell your story. God will help you in that story. Look at what Paul says. He says, I didn't come with lofty speech or all this wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. Only thing he decided to focus on was the gospel. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That your wisdom isn't based on something that you heard from some guy, but it's based on the power of God at work in your life and the power of God that comes from his word. You don't have to be good at telling your story. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just let your story point to the power of God. Let your story point towards something greater than us. This is what it means to live in the power of story. And so what I want to do to close out um, our time together is to tell you about the story that we're going to share tonight in Bethlehem, to give you an example of what this story might look like so that you can be praying for those people that are coming through a night in Bethlehem. Because let me tell you this, no greater thing that could happen a night in Bethlehem than someone to give their life to Jesus. Amen. Nothing but 3,000 sugar cookies are worth it. 150 gallons of hot chocolate are worth one pe person giving their life to the Lord. There's a party in heaven when that happens. That's why we do this, so that someone has, so that thousands of people have the opportunity to give their life completely to Christ. So let me tell you a little bit about 
this story. This year, our guide for a night in Bethlehem is the Roman soldier. Right? And the Roman soldier has this unlikely assignment of having to guard a guy named Paul who's stuck in prison. And scene one opens with him standing beside Paul who's in prison. And here's what Paul, you know, he's writing a letter to one of his friends in Philippi. You know, that book of Philippians, right? And so he's going to be reading Paul to thousands of people that come to Bethlehem. He's going to be reading this story. Listen to what it says. Philippians 1, starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What? Are you kidding me? Did you hear what that said? You obviously didn't, all right? Because Paul's in prison, and everybody outside is more bold and more excited to talk about Jesus because of Paul's imprisonment. And Paul is in prison going, praise the Lord, because now all these guards have to come guard me. Guess what? Captive audience, literally, right? Captive audience to share the gospel with people. And they were going to be sent up by Rome as missionaries without even knowing it. They're trying to stop the message. Nothing can stop the message, right? Now, let me ask you this. If it became illegal to speak the name of Jesus in the United States of America, would you still do it? Even if it risked prison. That's what this verse is saying, that we speak boldly regardless of what situation we're in because our joy is not caught up in circumstances. It's caught up in the name of Jesus. That's where our joy is found, right? It says, some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He's killing me here. He's saying, like, even if people are speaking bad about him, I'm not going to give them the power over me. If they speak bad, as long as they're speaking about Christ, okay. Are you going to rejoice when people speak bad about you as long as they're speaking about Jesus? I don't know. That's a tough one. Yes, he says, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will be not at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this line, to live is Christ and to die again, to die is gain, is going to be a theme throughout the whole story about this soldier who's been surrounded by death his whole life is now going to encounter life. To live is Christ. And, and this soldier is going to have these memories start popping up in his head. He's going to take it, the, everyone back through the story of the different things he's encountered over his life. And the first place he goes is the tomb because he had to guard the tomb. And he remembers this day. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 27. As This is what scene number two is all about. It says, the next day that is... After the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how this imposter said while he was still alive that after three days I will rise. Therefore, 
order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples go and steal the body away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. And so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, don't get that excited. We're not dropping someone out of heaven, right? And like getting the ground to shake. But wouldn't that be crazy? Can you imagine right now, if the ground started shaking under you right now, an angel just went, whooping, right? Shows up, how are you acting? You're just sitting watching the show? Or you're like, what? Or look what happens to the guards, right? These are the Roman soldiers. They've been, they've been trained to protect, right? And his appearance was like lightning, right? Are you picturing it? Like, boom, right? His clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Here's the whole guard. The angel shows up, boom, right? They're like, I'm out. They just like fall on the ground like dead men in fear. But guess who doesn't fall on the ground like dead men in fear? Mary and the other Mary. Right? Because the angel turns to them and starts talking to them. And he said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And see, Mary and the other Mary were not the only witnesses to the resurrection. These soldiers were a witness to the power of God coming down from heaven to for Jesus to rise from the dead. Woo, what a testimony. And then this soldier is going to take them back. He's going to say, you know what? I know he was dead, and here's how I know. Three days earlier, I was here at the cross, and I, I shoved my spear into his side, and blood and water flowed. I know he was dead, and now he has risen. What, what, what do I do with that? And I remember the day, and he's going to take him back to Pilate, where Pilate is judging him. And Pilate walks away from the question, what is truth? And he walks away from the answer, and he goes to the people. And what do the people scream? We want Barabbas and Jesus, the Son of God, the King of the Jews, the perfect, sinless one is traded for a sinner, a zealot, a rebel. He's traded for him. The perfect dies for the sinner. And then we walk through the market and we see Zacchaeus, a tax collector. He's been stealing money from people all his life. Why was he stealing money? Because he had the power of the Roman soldiers behind him. And he's taking the money. And here he is in a tree, climbing a tree. What? What are you doing up there? Can Jesus even forgive Zacchaeus? I mean, he dies for the sinner, but he also can forgive the sinner and say that salvation has come to your house today. And then he goes and meets the centurion whose, whose servant has been sick. And Jesus heals the centurion's servant without even going there. His power is so incredible that he just says the word. And the person a day's right away is, is healed. So not only does Jesus die for the sinner or forgive the sinner, but even heals sinners 
Could he even do that for me? Could he do that for you? Could he heal you? Could he forgive you? Could his sins, or the sins, could he cover your sins? And we go, the the soldier goes, I don't think he can forgive me. I don't think I'm worthy. Because he goes to Herod. He remembers this time he was working in Herod's court. And the Magi came and said, where is this one born to be king? We have followed a star and we want to worship him. And they leave to find baby Jesus, right? They leave to find him. But what does Herod do when they leave? He commands, kill all the babies, two years old and under. But is Herod the one who kills them? No. It's the soldiers. It's his men that go and kill the children. And this soldier in his own heart goes, what if I hadn't followed orders? What if I would have followed the wise men? What if I would have followed them to see this baby Jesus in the last scene, that Roman soldier is going to fall on his knees before the baby king and say, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? I have blood on my hands, but you forgave Barabbas. You forgave Zacchaeus. You healed Onesimus. Can you do that for me? And he's going to fall on his knees and give his life to this baby king. And there's some of you in this room that don't feel worthy of that love. There's some of you in this room who think in your mind, well, Jesus, if Jesus really knew all the things that I've done, if he really knew my story, he couldn't forgive me because I have blood on my hands. I have this thing and I have this thing and we have all these excuses. Jesus died for all of them. Can you out the grace of God? Why don't we just fall on our knees before him and accept him? And that's the story we're going to tell. And I want you to pray with me that somebody in that crowd will fall on their knees before Jesus and give their life completely to him and that their Christmas will never be the same because they now see not just baby Jesus that gives gifts, but baby Jesus who gave the gift of eternal life. That's our prayer. Join me in that prayer for a night in Bethlehem in this story. Lord, I thank you. For the story of redemption, Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who came into the world to set us free. And Lord, for those who have been set free, we are free indeed. Lord, help us this weekend to tell this story. Lord, help us as followers in Jesus Christ to every opportunity we have to tell the story of what you have done for us. Because there is power in our testimony, Lord. Let us be a witness of your love. So, Lord, help us as we go out and tell the story of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the gift of your spirit that can enable us and encourage us in this process. We pray all this in your name, the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. have a few announcements for you as you make your way out. Uh, Chris has mentioned Night in Bethlehem. Immediately following third service, we are going to begin putting the sets together. So we'd love for you to join us. We'll be... Um, cutting board and drilling and uh, hammering, all kinds of fun stuff, uh, moving hay. So we would love for you to be a part of that. If you are an actor, you can pick up your costumes there in the children's common area on your way out. Our rehearsal will be this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. So we would uh, just want to remind you to come for uh, the dress rehearsal and have your, uh, your script memorized, your lines memorized. Also, if you are uh, serving in any area this morning, 
uh, after third service, we need you to move your vehicle out of this parking lot so that we can go ahead and begin moving those sets. So just want to remind you, please move your vehicle. Uh, and then last but certainly not least, I want to remind you to pick up the prayer guide for December. This is out in the foyer. You can pick one of those up so you can join us in prayer throughout the month of December. Okay, so this is my charge to you. Let not your faith rest in the wisdom of man, but rather in the power of God. God bless you.